Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. If you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 is what we're going to take a look at this morning. And so you can uh, stick your finger there in Matthew chapter 6, and, and we will get there. I was going to drag this over here earlier, and I, I got caught up in praying, and I forgot that I had to drag this thing over here. Uh, we have been talking for several weeks now about God's dreams that he has for us as a congregation. And in God's dreams, uh, he has showed us six things, possibly seven things here, I think. Um, But uh, these are our six focuses. And out of this, one of the things that God has called us into is a season of prayer and taking a look at his scripture. And so in this season of prayer and in this season of scripture, what God has asked of us is to focus not so much on a direction that we are going, but instead focus on him and the things that he is saying to us. I am excited that we have recognized and honored our graduates this morning. And one of the things that we see in these God dreams is us sending out a countless number of leaders, not just students, but so many others to go into the world that can be his light shining in a world of darkness. On Wednesday of this week, in this room, those that are graduating from Warner Christian Academy will gather for their baccalaureate service. And in that, a part of what our charge is to them, not just in baccalaureate, but also in graduation, is for them to find and focus on the things that God desires for them. And the reality of that is, that's not just a message for our graduates, but that is a message for every single one of us, that we would focus on the things that he desires for us. God has not only prepared for those that have graduated a path, but he has prepared for all of us as his children a path. And it's not, our goal is not to rush people up to the point of graduation and say, we've given you a good foundation, we hope that you do well in life. But instead, our goal is to continue walking with them so that they remain um, moldable to the God who continues to work in their life. Our goal for our graduates is a goal for every one of us as followers of Christ, is that their priorities would take a back seat to the priorities that God has for them. And we as his children must make certain that we are hearing from the Holy Spirit. I read a quote in, in preparing for, for baccalaureate that I thought, ah, I've gotta, I have to share this with you this morning. Uh, Andy Stanley, one of, one of um, a powerful, powerful preacher, one of my favorites, says, direction, not intention, determines our destination. 
Direction, not intention, determines our destination. Sometimes we point out a destination of where we want to go. And sometimes it, would be e sometime it might be easy for us to take these God dreams and say, that is the direction that we are going. That is our destination that we're going to get there. And so what the enemy wants us to do is to think, okay, we are going to get to the destination and then we're done. We've resolved. We can move on to the next thing. But Andy Stanley is saying to us, it is our direction that is going to determine our destination. If you've ever been to any theme park in the world, they've got all of these lines, and there's lots to be said about those lines. But the purpose of what they would say is the queue or the line is to get you to the ride that you actually want to ride. And so what Andy Stanley would say to us is the queue or the line that you get in determines your destination. Listen, in this season of prayer and scripture that we are focusing on, the prayer in the scripture is the cue or the line that is going to get us to our destination. And so we are not focusing on the steps that we want to take in order to get to the destination. Instead, we are focusing on what the Father is actually saying to every single one of us. And so this is an intentional season of prayer and scripture. And I encourage you to go on this season of prayer and scripture with us. If you don't have a journal that we've put together that has a daily verse, there's some questions, and then some things for you to actually pray through. There are some that are back at the Welcome Center. You can find it on our website under ministries that says devotional. Find that. Pick one up. Follow along with us. Don't focus on the destination. Don't focus on the end goal but instead focus on what the Father is saying today. Because we can't worry about tomorrow when we miss what He is saying to us today. And it's important that we actually catch that, that we hear what He is saying to us today. So a part of our goal is to hear from Jesus because that's what matters most for us. So today, in taking a look at Matthew chapter 6, what I hope that we do through this is that we are able to clear away some of the noise, some of the chaos of our lives, the chaos of this world, and that this would be a day that we clearly hear from Jesus. And so we're going to actually take a look at Jesus' words when he said, I want you to pray this way. But N.T. Wright, uh, who is an amazing Bible scholar, says this about prayer. Prayer is one of life's greatest mysteries. Most people pray at least sometimes. Some people, in many very different religious traditions, pray a great deal. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance that there may be somebody out there somewhere listening. At its highest, though, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of His reality, His generosity, His delight, and His grace and desire for us. For most Christians, though, most of the time, it takes place somewhere in between these two examples. From we're experiencing His presence to where we're just shouting into the void. 
To be frank, though, for many people, N.T. Wright says, it's not just a mystery, but prayer is instead a puzzle. They know that they ought to pray, but they just aren't quite sure how. I think if we were to be honest, our, our, we ourselves, we've experienced that. There have been times for us in prayer maybe that we have really experienced the presence of God and we knew by the time we said amen that Jesus was with us. And then there are other times it seems as if we're just shouting into the void and nobody is actually hearing the words that we are crying out in prayer. And I think that sometimes we miss the significance and the importance of prayer because we're bouncing back like a ping pong ball from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And if we were to try to give an answer of what prayer is, it would be this ping pong ball mentality of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So what is prayer? We've talked about prayer the past couple weeks. We're in this season of prayer and scripture and taking a look at scripture and what God is saying to us and then spending time in prayer of what God is saying to us. What is prayer? If we were to open up the scripture and we were to go all throughout here, we were to pull out everything from prayer, the one common thing that I think that we would see over and over and over of what prayer really is, is prayer is simply communication with God. Hear, hear that this morning. Prayer is communication with God. Sometimes we conjure up all of these ideas of what prayer actually is. And we think that we are not good prayers because we did not pray like this, 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 or this. Instead, we think that, boy, that person is a powerful prayer, and they are, they are the model of how we should pray. But prayer is simply communication with God. There are times that I'm driving down the road, and it's just prayer. It's just communication with God. There are times when I get away and I isolate myself and I'm spending time in a room where nobody else can, can interfere with that time because that is another way to communicate with God. There are times that I sit down and I open up a journal and I record my prayers with God and I will write out the fullness of those prayers. There are times that I'll write down what I think God might be saying to me. Prayer is when I'm walking. Prayer is when I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready and I'm just having some communication with God. You do not have to find somebody else's way to pray and try to bring that in your life and try to pray the way that they pray. What I encourage you to do is to simply communicate with God. We could get into all of this communication part and figuring out what communication actually looks like and talk about the communication. But you've got to speak to God and you've got to position yourself so that you can hear with God. Find a way to communicate with God in a way that actually fits who you are. So how is it that we pray? Jesus actually told us in Matthew chapter 6. Take a look at verse 5. This is in the middle of some significant teachings that Jesus gave. In Matthew 5, 6, 7, in the beginning of 8, we would call this the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of this, this is what Jesus says. And when you pray, verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil men, from the evil one. Jesus said, I want to teach you how to pray. I want to share with you how you need to be praying. And Jesus gave us several things that we'll look at this week and the next two weeks of what it means for us to be able to pray. This is what we would say is the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. But at the very beginning of this prayer, something that I just want to point out that I think is significant and also plays into what I would say are one of our God dreams. Now, prayer is not actually one of the things that are listed out. Great prayers, great people who pray is not one of our God dreams. But in one of those, it is God is building in us a powerhouse of prayer. And so if we are going to get to be a powerhouse of prayer, then we need to know how to pray. And Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. We would think if we were going to take Jesus' prayer and try to list it in one of those God dreams, we would put it under the powerhouse of prayer. But I think it fits in the very, very first one. And that is unity. You read through this, and we would think, I don't get unity, actually, that's listed out in this prayer. We can't go through here and we can't say, oh yeah, that's, that's unity that Jesus is praying for here. In fact, if we were to say, where did Jesus pray for unity? If you know anything about what Jesus prayed when he was here on the earth, we would directly go right over to John chapter 17. When Jesus was praying that we as his children would be one, we would think, okay, that's the prayer that Jesus prayed for unity. When instead... We miss sometimes how Jesus prayed for unity in the Lord's Prayer. And you miss it because it's the first word. It says, our. O-U-R. Our Father. Now, if I pray, sometimes I say, my. I talk about me. I talk about my needs. I pray my prayers to God. But Jesus didn't pray that way. He didn't say, my Father who is in heaven. He could have done that, and that would have been absolutely true. But Jesus, in praying for unity, invited all of us into this prayer with him by saying, our Father who is in heaven. Do you see this model or this this picture of unity that Jesus has there? He starts unifying all of his children. Now let's think about the chaos, as we sang uh, this morning, the first song, who brings our chaos back into order. The Lord really stirred something, the Spirit stirred something in me in that, that I think there's more to come out, but what, what the Lord has been stirring in me just in a few moments from us singing that song is, think about the chaos that Jesus had gone through up to this point. So here Jesus has begun, well, I think we even go back to John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, 
And then John the Baptist baptized Jesus. The Holy Spirit clearly came upon Jesus, and the Lord spoke over Jesus. And then after that, Jesus starts to call us, or immediately after that, Jesus was tempted and spent some time in the desert for 40 days. The enemy, in this chaos the enemy's bringing into Jesus' life, is doing everything he can to try to lure Jesus away from the mission that God has sent him to wrap on flesh and come to earth for. So on all of this chaos that the enemy's bringing into Jesus' life, God is leading him back to Scripture, leading him back to Scripture time and time again. That's the reason that a season of prayer and Scripture is very important. Jesus always went back to the Scripture. He always went back to the power and the authority of our Father in heaven. And so then Jesus begins his ministry. He begins to call his disciples. He launches out. He begins his teaching. And tons and tons and tons of people are beginning to follow Jesus because they just know there's something different about that guy. Some of this, some of this also were people that had experienced the baptism of Jesus and the very real presence of God in that moment. And so these people are following Jesus. And as he launches his ministry, he gives this sermon on the mount. And in the middle of his sermon on the mount, as he's just begun his public ministry, what Jesus prays for is our Father. And Jesus has invited all of this multitude of people into a relationship with the Father, conjoined, united, together with him. He did not teach these people and say, my Father in heaven is going to do this for you. But instead, he said, it is our Father in heaven. And so what Jesus is saying here, and, and I think the reason that he began this prayer here, uh, as he's teaching on prayer, is because we, us, and the multitudes that were following him, and everybody in between needs to catch that we have been united together through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the same Father in heaven that Jesus did. Isn't that awesome? That's mind-boggling to me. That Jesus came and when he said, I want you to pray this way, he said, it's our Father. We then get to step back in some 2,000 years ago to Jesus' words on the side of the mountain and we have joined him here because he is our Father as well. It's significant that Jesus prayed this way. And we must catch this if we are to truly experience the presence of God through prayer. Because you remember what happened from the time that sin happened in Genesis chapter 3 until the time that Jesus gave his, his blood was shed on the cross. God was viewed as something distant. They had God's presence come and spend time for just a brief moment, but no commoners, none of us certainly, would ever be able to go into experiencing the presence of God. So God was this faraway thing. God was not with them in the way that he is with us. But what Jesus is doing and saying, this is how I want you to pray, what he is doing is reminding us that because of the mission that he had to come and defeat sin and the consequences of sin and rescue us from us drowning in our sin, that we have been united with Jesus and we have the same Father. And so God no longer is this distant place to where we, can, we think that we're praying and we're praying and we're hoping that somebody is hearing these words that we're offering up in prayer. But Jesus is saying, listen, there is a better way for us. 
And that is what he came to do to unite us with our Father in heaven. It is significant. It's significant for us that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And then he said, I'm going away. But it's for your benefit that I'm going to go away. Because I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he said, you then, you then are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that in the olden times before Jesus came, when God was this distant, faraway place that they could not experience his presence because of sin... That no longer existed, but instead God said, I want my presence to be with my people. It came out of the temple into our bodies actually becoming the temple so that we are united with our Father. And this is why Jesus, I mean, it's just a couple of words here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want to focus on the hallowed part, and we want to focus on the praise, and that is a portion of this prayer. But we can't miss these first two words that says, Our Father. So when you pray, when you take your scripture journal, when you sit down and you're going through a prayer journal, and you've got the word and you've got the scripture, I challenge you, to think about these two words that Jesus said when he said, this then is how you should pray, our Father. I wonder what would happen in our prayer life if we led every time with those two words. I wonder if the powerhouse of prayer that God wants for us is somehow found in these two words, our Father. I wonder if the unity that God has been dreaming over us is also found in these two words, our Father. Jesus said, this is how you have to pray. This is what I want you to do. And start here. It's with our Father. How many times have you left that out of your prayer time? How many times have you started with God? This is what I need. Now, there are times that we just go directly to that with God. It's a part of having constant communication with Him. God, I need, right? But do we leave out His presence with us? Do we leave out that we have been united as His children together in those words, our Father? So Jesus began this prayer. Our Father in heaven. That's the way that Jesus taught us how to approach God. Because Jesus knew that his Father, our Father, is an approachable God. Now, Joe Biden is my president. Donald Trump was my president. Barack Obama was my president. But I had zero authority to stand outside the gates of the White House and be able to approach my president. You can't do it. There are guards and there are dogs and there are weapons that prevent us from approaching our president. You can't do it. However, there is a higher one that Jesus said you can approach with two words, 
our Father. Because God is accessible. And not only is He accessible, but He desires to spend this time with you. You can't call the White House and have someone in authority answer. But you can call out to our Father, and the one who holds all authority will directly respond to you. That's the power that God desires to build inside of each of us. That is a portion of the powerhouse of prayer that God desires to build inside of the DNA and the culture of Whitechapel Church. Herein lies the unity that God is desiring for us as we go forward in the path that he has laid out for us. And here's the amazing thing. The God who is available to us is always a God who answers us. And if we remove our selfishness out of those two words, our Father then God will always answer in a way that brings peace in the midst of the chaos of our lives. We don't go to God and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and now I want you to give me this. Isn't it, to me, it's intriguing, that Jesus never laid out anything selfish here in this prayer. He didn't say, God, I need this. And at the launch of his ministry, it may have been something on his mind that he knew that he was now beginning this process that would eventually lead to his destination, which was the cross and in shedding his own blood. Had that been me, when I would be teaching other people to pray, I might have said, Our Father, I might have gotten to that point. But I promise you, after the Our Father point, I would have said, if you want this cup to pass from me, then please take it to me now. I wouldn't have waited to much, 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 much longer later to pray it in his garden prayer, just before he was crucified. I would have prayed it here at the very beginning of my ministry, when I'm launching out to eventually get to that destination. I would have prayed a directional prayer. God, take me a different way if you, if, if you can and if you can avoid the pain of the cross. But Jesus didn't pray that. He didn't bring his selfishness in the flesh into this prayer. He prayed exactly, exactly how he told us that we need to pray. And there is no self in this prayer. It's all God-honoring. The only self that we actually get here deals with the sin that is in our life. And so Jesus is teaching us exactly how we need to pray and inviting us to draw closer to a God who wants to be with us. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is sharing here in these words, and he's reminding us, this is just a few chapters after this, he's reminding us again of the availability that our Father in heaven has, to, to each, has given to each one of us. And he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What Jesus is teaching us here through this passage in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29 and 30, 
is that we can boldly go to our Father and in surrendering all of our stuff to Him, we can then take His yoke, which is easy, and His burden, which is light for us. Because we have an accessible God who desires to actually be with us. God is inviting us in our weary days, in our weakest days, and in our burdened days to surrender everything to Him so that He can restore us at our core, to get us to this place to where we are exclusively focused on our Father who is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God knows how things work. God knows how things work. He knows because he knit the atoms and the molecules together to form this world. And he knows how this goes with this. And this element is united with this, and it makes this. The scripture tells us that he even knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows the ins and the outs of us. He knows how the heart muscles work together to distribute blood and carry oxygen, and then that's converted so that, and he knows how all of this works inside of our body. And Jesus has invited us to come to him, who knows the order, who knows the structure, who knows how things work, so that we can offload ourselves onto him and begin to focus on our Father in heaven. I ask you again, how many times have you left our Father out of your prayers? How many times have your prayers been all about your weariness, your burden, your yoke, and your heaviness that you have forgot that focusing on our Father is light. It is refreshing. And that's the focus that He desires for every single one of us. Prayer, remember, is just communication with God. And it is okay for us to bring these things to Him. But our focus must always be Him. Our focus must put Him at the center of everything. And I really believe that that's another reason why Jesus prayed these words here at the very, very beginning. You know, something that I've wrestled with with God in prayer is his timing. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God's timing. I wrestle with God's timing. Because to me, sometimes God is just not fast enough. Is anybody else that way? Yeah. Sometimes I get frustrated with God because I know that like that, he can just speak and things change in a moment. And there are times that I really wrestle with him. I'm like, God, why don't you just speak? And why don't you just change this thing that I want to be changed in just a moment? But you know what I've sensed God saying as I've grown closer and closer to him? Is my time on this earth is not about God stepping into the situation to change things. It's instead about God changing me. And in bringing me into alignment with our Father who is in heaven. Because when I approach Him sometimes with all of the burdens and all of the stuff that I want to be changed, 
I'm approaching God not through first coming to our Father. Instead, I'm approaching Him through the lens in which I would then begin to structure and order the chaos in this world. Yeah, I've prayed for people to be healed that weren't healed. And I would say to God in frustration, God, why did you not heal that person? That person was a giant in the faith. And we needed them here on this earth so that they could help us grow closer to you. But you know, in this prayer, Jesus didn't pray for people outside of our Father. Other than in dealing with sin and those who have sinned against us. The debts that we have and the debtors that we also have. He didn't pray that there was this person that was unhealed or this person that was unhealed. And I know that in Jesus growing up in his 30 or so years here at this point, he had seen people die. And I'm sure that he had seen people around them beg the Lord to heal. I'm certain of that. You can't live for that long without experiencing that in life. But Jesus didn't focus on that. Jesus didn't come to the Father, and he didn't say in this moment, God, this is so heavy that I just can't get through that. Instead, Jesus just said, our Father. Our Father. Because the focus was not on Jesus. The focus was on him and the faithful, promise-keeping Father that he is. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Do you know what Jesus was doing here in his prayer when he said, this is how I want you to pray? He was leading us to our Father who is a faithful God if we take our selfishness out of the equation. Then we would be able to experience that. God is faithful. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, even if what you want in prayer is never accomplished, God is still faithful. And we have to hold to this confession of our hope and not waver from that. God is faithful. And Jesus' words here, our Father in heaven, is a reminder of who it is we're praying to that is a faithful God. Hear this. What Jesus desires or what God desires here on this earth as his promises, they will come to pass. What prayer does is changes us and brings us in alignment to the will of God. So that when we don't get what we want, we still have peace because we hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, which is our Father. So prayer is more about changing us than it is changing the circumstances around us. Because hear this, God uses the circumstances to draw us closer to Him so that as we get closer to Him, as the song says, the things of earth grow strangely dim. Because we know that the confession of our hope is found in our Father. And His will will always, will always be accomplished, not in our own time, not in our own way, but in the way in which 
he desires. Brenna Manning wrote a book, it's, All is Grace is the name of the book. And in one of the quotes in the book, she says this, God loves you unconditionally, as you are, not as you should be. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It is not cheap, it is free. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. But here's the amazing thing. If we were to go a little further with this, what we would discover is that God loves us unconditionally exactly as we are. But the amazing thing about grace is that He loves us so much, He does not leave us where we are. And in prayer, when we pray, Our Father in Heaven, what we discover is that because of His love, He is constantly shaping us in His image. And so grace does find us in a place where He unconditionally loves us exactly how we are. But that love pushes us, draws us closer to Him, so that as the potter's hands wrap around us, He has the freedom to shape us the way that He desires for us to be shaped. And so what we think sometimes is God's grace just leaves us right where we're at. No, that's not love. You can't love somebody who's flawed and want them to stay flawed. When you love somebody, you want them to be the best version of themselves that is Christ-like. And so the love that Jesus gives us loves us to change us in the way that prayer does that. And the way that we experience that in our lives and the way that we experience that in all of the rest of us is through prayer. By praying our Father in heaven and then the way that Jesus taught us to pray. We can't change other people. We can't change ourselves. And that's why we need the grace of God. And that's why we pray our Father in heaven. Because we want to be who God wants us to be. And not stay over here in our lost, undone state. But instead, allow God to mold us and make us to change us and craft us into the vessel that He desires for us to be. And that's why I believe Jesus and the multitude around Him taught them how to pray. If we want to experience a power of prayer that He's dreaming for us, and if we want to experience the unity that He desires for us, then we must begin with these words at all points in our lives. Our Father in Heaven. So I want to end with this question for you. Who is our Father in heaven to you? When you hear these words, our Father in heaven, who is he to you? Is he somebody that you come together with some other folks on a Sunday morning and you say our Father in heaven some people around you talk about our Father in Heaven. We sing some songs about our Father in Heaven. Is that who our Father in Heaven is to you? Is it somebody that you go out and you live your life throughout the week and in a moment of crisis in your life, then those are the words that you cry out, our Father? 
Who is our Father in heaven to you? Is it somebody that you can have a deep, intimate conversation with, relationship with? Who is our Father to you? Is he somebody that's some distant, off being that you've never fully experienced his, experienced his life-changing grace? Is it somebody that you've heard other people talk about and you've thought, boy, I could never, never get to that place or I could never experience God in that way? Who is our Father to you? I think that this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us about that. And I think Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, where he prayed, Our Father in heaven, can be some pivotal words in your relationship with him. That if in this day, in this moment, you hear from the Holy Spirit, and you focus on our Father in heaven for just a moment, that you will go deeper in your walk with him. And so what I want us to do at the close of our service this morning is to just for a moment spend some time with our Father in heaven so that if this is where you are today, you then go deeper with him in just a few moments. And if this is where you are today, you go deeper with him in just a few moments. And if then this is where you are, no matter where you are on your walk with him, it becomes a deeper walk with him. So maybe you've walked with God for a long time, or maybe you're new in walking with him. Today, go deeper with him. Or maybe you have never begun a walk with God. Maybe you have felt that prayer was just something that you could never do because God Almighty is God Almighty, and who are we to go to Him? And so you never even began a journey with Him in prayer because you thought, I just can't get to that place. Hear me, today is the day that God wants you to come to Him, and God wants to rescue you from your sin so that you can begin afresh and anew as the vessel that he wants you to be. Maybe you've never began a relationship with Jesus. Today is the day that he desires for you to come. Today is the day that he wants you to cry out, Our Father in heaven. In this moment, for every one of us, for every one of us, I pray that this would be a moment that you go deeper into relationship with him. That you are able to say, God, you are our father. And I want to experience the fullness that you desire for me to have in this moment. There's no guilt. There's no shame from whatever may be in the past. That's what his grace is for. 
There's no guilt. There's no shame because, oh, I, I meant to pray. I should have prayed. I was going to pray. I began a relationship with God, and then I've been so back and forth. I'm in. I'm out. I'm, I'm this, that. I, I'm, I'm bouncing around like a ping pong ball, bouncing all around. There's nothing, none of that. Don't let the enemy bring that into this moment because this is a moment where you get to experience a deeper relationship with God if, if, if you're willing to go with him. And if you've made up your mind that despite anything else, when you cry out, our Father in heaven, you're willing to experience the fullness that he has for you in that moment. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time. Have a great week and be blessed.